Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's open it to the book of 1 Timothy. I invite you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And today we'll only look at verses 8 to 10. The beginning of a very controversial text in the Bible about um, the different roles between men and women, especially in the church. Um, but uh, today, I don't think it's that controversial. Perhaps, um, maybe some of us wouldn't know that these texts are in the Bible. But um, today would be like a good introduction as well to the, the more difficult passages of verses 9 to, 12, to 15. But today, let's just read 1 Timothy 2 from verse 8. Paul writes, and he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Up until thus far. Let's read together or pray together. Father, we come to you, we thank you, and we ask for your, your mercy and your help. Lord, you've created us male and female, and Lord, we need you to tell us and to show us what it means to be a man, to be a woman. Oh, Father, please help me as a pastor, as a preacher, to preach your word accurately, faithfully, not to be legalistic in any way, but to, but to really apply your word to our hearts and that you would transform us from the inside out as men and women, that we would glorify your name. We pray and ask this for your glory. Amen. So as most of you probably know, if, you've, if you're awake in this age and time, uh, we, one of the most controversial uh, topics today is that of gender. gender. There's immense confusion about what is a man and what is a woman. And that last question, um, one man, Matt Walsh, have bravely tried to make a documentary of that, uh, what is a woman, um, because it's so controversial today. People can't seem to answer this simple question about what is a woman. But I would say, unfortunately, I think this confusion is not unique to the outside world. If I were to ask you, this afternoon, what is a man and what is a woman? What is a man to be? What is a man to do? What is a woman to be and a woman to do? Would we have clear answers for people? I remember just as if I could share something in my own life as a young man struggling with that question. What is the difference between a boy and a man? Because I've heard from other pastors that there are many boys who can shave. Right, So just because you have a beard or just because you are a mature adult male doesn't make you a man necessarily. And remember just feeling insecure like I'm a tiny man, like I'm physically small. I'm wondering, what is this? Am I a boy or am I a man if I can't you know, change a tire or something like that? Like maybe something's wrong with me. Now you probably have your own story, your own hurt, your own pain, your own confusion, your own questions. And beloved, our text... 1 Timothy 2 begins to answer some of those core questions of what is a man and what is a woman. We have God's word to guide us. We have the creator's clarity of, on what is a man and what is a woman. Will we listen to his word? 
Now, oh, there are so many voices today shouting for our attention, but right here, right now, this afternoon, we have the opportunity to be still and know that He is God and that we are men and women. We have this opportunity to quiet our hearts, quiet our emotions, and to listen to the Creator. Now, one thing that's clear and interesting with the commandments and the instructions of men and women is that men and women are different, right? That's really a very basic first principle. Men and women are different by design. Now, there's a, there's a similarity in what Paul says to men and women, and there's a difference between what he says. What he basically says to both men and women is this, be holy and be self-controlled. That's basically what men and women both have to do, but that looks differently. Self-control looks different for men than it looks for women. Now, think of us as men. Generally, we want to be strong. And I think that's a good thing. I think God made us to want to be strong, to want to be competitive. That's not a bad thing. But with that peculiar strength also comes peculiar temptations. So we are also, we tend to be more angry more um, argumentative, more combative because of our masculinity, right? Now, we find this idea really in Scripture. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 29. I love this verse. The glory of young men is their strength. That's why there's always mirrors in, in the gym, right? Look at my glory, <laughs> okay? While he's bench pressing, I don't know what, okay? The glory of a young man is his strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Okay, we have a problem if we're bald, right? Like that glory is fading. Okay, but that's the young man's glory is to be strong, and I think that's a good thing, right? But again, just because we are strong, that that often gets expressed in sinful ways. Now, for women, for women generally, you want to be beautiful. Again, I think by design, God made women to be beautiful. And, and with that strength, because women are naturally beautiful, becomes their peculiar temptations and sins. Instead of, and now women are tempted to be overly worried, overly fixated about how they look, about their dress, their hair, things like that. So God's word comes this afternoon and corrects us, helps us think what is a real man and what is a real woman? What is true strength and what is true beauty in the eyes of God? Now, of course, what, what I will say this afternoon is in no ways meant to be exhaustive. Okay, so this is, I'm not going to answer the full question of what is a man, what is a woman, but this begins the answer. So our structure will be very simple. First, men be strong. And then secondly, women be beautiful. That's the outline. So first, first is men be strong. Look at verse 8. He says, I desire then that in every place that the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So we ask in context, why did Paul feel to tell the men to stop arguing, to stop be being angry? Well, remember the false teaching um, has been crept in, has crept into this church about the law and genealogies, and that has bred quarrels. Look at chapter one, verse four, as a reminder. One verse four says, "Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God." Chapter six, verse four. Just turn there as well. It says, "He, the false teachers, is puffed up with conceit, understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy." For quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction 
among people. Do you see? So false teaching, false gospels produce in men bad men, right? It produces fighting men arguing about words. Now, although arguing and fighting is not unique to men, it's definitely more common to men. Think of, if I can use a, a modern illustration, is how many road rages do you see amongst women? Now, of course, you're going to find a YouTube video somewhere about a woman road raging. Okay, that's, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But the majority are men. Why? Because we want to fight. Philip Ryken said it well. He says, men are typical like that. They are critical and competitive. They tend to argue first and listen later. They would rather be right than be reconciled. They get angry when they don't get their way. So the Bible reminds Christian men not to fight. I think men who love to fight, who love to argue, might feel they need to prove something. I need to prove I'm the man. I'm the strongest here. I won't let anybody just walk over me. But God reminds us this is a misplaced masculinity. This is not true strength in the sight of God. Anyone can raise a fist if pushed too far. True strength rests not in dominating other people, but in dominating yourself. True masculinity is to control yourself, to have your emotions under control. That's true strength. And is not Jesus our supreme example in this? Was he not the strongest man alive? God in the flesh who could command wind and sea to sit and they sit. To command a legion of demons to go out and like a puppy with its tail in its legs run to the pigs. This is Christ. Like everything just bows before this king. And yet where do we see his greatest strength displayed? At the cross. Right there, when he was willing to die for us, he was at his strongest. Remember what what people were mocking him with. They were saying, he can save others, he cannot even save himself. Think of that words. But he chose to remain on the cross with almighty strength. He could have, if he wanted to climb off. A real man is a man that says like Jesus, Father, not my will be done, your will be done. Real men are on their knees. Real strength is when God's strength is displayed through our weaknesses. When God's grace is sufficient for us. True strength is to rule yourself for the good of others. That's true masculinity. Men were meant to be strong. But that strength needs to be used for others, not against others. And probably one of the most difficult ways to be strong is to pray. Because look at what he says in verse 8. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Instead of fighting with each other, men were supposed to be praying with one another. Instead of raising clenched fists at one another, they need to lift up holy hands with one another. And let's be honest, this is tough. This is difficult. Especially if you haven't done that in a while. I challenge the men here who are married to lead your families in prayer. To say, let us go to God. Let us bring our requests to God. 
listen, it's awkward. It's not natural. It doesn't feel right. Like it's, it's hard. It's sometimes irritating to always feel like you need to be the one praying. But again, this is where strength comes in. It takes self-control. It takes courage. And this is what we need to do, not just in our families, but in our church with one another, with the men in our church. We need to be praying together. Think of some conflict you might have had with another Christian or or in a church. Can I ask you this? Did you pray before that conflict and after that conflict? And that is probably the key problem. Listen to James 4. James 4 gives us a humbling reminder of where does quarreling come from? It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, why? Because you do not ask. Prayerlessness causes irritating men, irritated men. So men want something and they feel powerless to get it. So they turn to the power tool of anger. Because if I don't get angry, how is anything going to get done here? Anger is this power tool that men feel, it's the only way I can control things. You see, there's the problem. You want, you do not have because you do not pray, you do not ask. If you're one of those men, and I'm going to say, I'm preaching to myself. So if you feel guilty, welcome to the club. Anger is a universal masculine problem. We struggle with this. But let me give you a verse that I I hope you can memorize and start putting in your your mind to remember when you struggle with anger. James 1 verse 19. Memorize these verses. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, we get angry because we believe that's the only way to get things done. But what does this verse say? It's a sobering truth. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's counterproductive. You are breaking down. It doesn't achieve what you want to achieve. It doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. If you want true strength, true harmony, fight for self-control of your own emotions. So sometimes the manliest thing to do is to walk away from a fight. Especially in marriage, right? <laughs> that might be. But listen to 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Now, I always understood that flee youthful passions as referring to sexual sins. Flee sexual sins. No, in context, it is flee foolish arguments. It's a youthful passion to want to engage in foolish, pointless arguments. Just to show your weight. Paul says, flee that. Just avoid those. There are many ignorant controversies out there. So men, are your hands holy or defiled? Verse 8 says, we should lift our holy hands without anger. Holy means to be set apart. We are, as men, set apart. We belong to Christ. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. So we glorify God with our hands, with our bodies. So look at Christ. See true strength displayed. He could have defended himself. He didn't. He laid his life down. He fought for peace. That's what we need to do. Fight for peace. Fight for reconciliation. Pray with your family. Pray with other men in the church. Be praying men. 
Christian man needs to be known by their prayers. This is how we are to be characterized. This is what it means to be strong. Now, secondly, God has also a word for the women. The second command is women, be beautiful. Now, I can already hear the objections. Wait, pastor, you can't command that. How can you command beauty? <laughs> you can't say be beautiful. I, I, I either am beautiful or I'm not beautiful. Right? That sounds like a contradiction. And there again lies the misconception. Just like men might think that anger is the only weapon they have to get control, women might be tempted to think that their bodies is the only weapon they have to get control of, of men or of other things. And so God wisely warns Christian women about this misplaced femininity. Look at verse 9 to 10. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Notice something in the beginning of verse 9. What does he tell women to do? Women should adorn themselves. So first thing we should say is God says it's good for women to be beautiful. It's good for women to want to be beautiful. He says you should adorn yourself. You should beautify yourself. You see, so God doesn't want to say don't care about your beauty. Don't care about um, anything. Don't, God doesn't want to squash your beauty. The point is, God says, do you want to be really beautiful? Pursue this. So God is telling women, here's the way to be beautiful, to be really beautiful. So therefore, as women, it's not wrong to want to be beautiful. That's how God made you. But why? Why do you want to be beautiful? Who do you want to please? How are you trying to enhance your beauty? The, emph the emphasis of verse 9 is all about inordinate amount of time, money, and attention it takes on the externals. Okay, in verse 9, he says, with respectable apparel, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire. You see, it's, it's time, it's money, it's effort. To give a bit of a context of what, what, this, what Paul is talking about here, listen to one, one um, commentator. He says, The sculpture and literature of the period make it clear that women often wore their hair in enormously elaborate arrangements with braids and curls interwoven or piled high like towers and decorated with gems and or gold and or pearls. The courtesans or the prostitutes wore their hair in numerous small pendant braids with gold droplets or pearls or gems every inch or so making a shimmering screen of their locks. You see, so the point is not that they should never dress up. Weddings and other formal functions, highly appropriate. Even the church is going to be like a bride dressed, right? Beautifully dressed. That's not the point. Rather, what you choose to wear, what your focus is, in, in, in short, to address with seductive uh, motives, to seduce men, to attract the lustful gaze of men. So either seductively or sensually or to just uh, flaunt your wealth, to just show how wealthy you are. All of this is just misplaced. It's not fitting. It doesn't fit with Christian women. That's why the text says women should dress with respectable apparel. Respectable. You see, the irony is to dress loosely, 
to dress, um, to invite the gaze of men, is actually to lose respect. That's not respect, the kind of respect you want, right? To advertise your body through your clothes invites men to treat you like an object instead of like a person. Ask any woman, would you want men to treat you like a sex object and then to discard you or to treat you with respect? Right? The answer is obvious. And that's where we get the outdated word, modesty. Women are to dress with modesty, self-control. In other words, dress in such a way that the attention is drawn to your face and not to your body. To dress in such a way that the eyes are not drawn downward but upward to your face. And by the way, on a side note, I think it will be a mistake for me to start listing clothings here and say, if you wear this, you are immodest, jeans or skirts or the moment we list things, we are in danger of becoming legalistic because there are jeans, certain jeans that are modest and certain jeans that are immodest. There are certain skirts that that are modest and certain skirts that are immodest. So the idea here is I don't think we should start listing a list and the moment you wear that that clothing, it's, it's, it's over the line. I think we, when we see immodesty, you, you will know it. And here I hope and I pray that even the women in our church, so let's say there's a woman in our church, she is a member of this church, we, we've seen her fruit of salvation, and she comes to church with immodest clothing. How do we handle that? Well, firstly, I want to encourage no man to handle that. Okay, so I don't think any man should go up and tell her okay, that. But I, I pray that the women here would have the biblical mindset and the love and the courage to go and speak to that lady. Probably after the service, right? After the service is done, that the word of God has sunk in. But to, I want to encourage you to think like that and to do that. Just like men need self-control in their emotions, women need self-control in their desire to show off their bodies. Now, what is wrong with that? What is misplaced about immodesty? Well, it's simply misplaced focus. In verse 10, what should be Christian women's focus? It says, But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Spending time on your looks takes a lot of time. Spending your money on expensive clothing, well, is expensive. And sadly, focusing on those externals leaves you feeling empty and hollow, loved for a short while and then discarded. But beloved, what God says to the women here is give me your heart. Dress to impress me. Don't dress to impress the eyes of people. Clothe yourself with good works. Pursue a gentle and a quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. I get that directly from 1 Peter 3, a parallel passage. 1 Peter 3 verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. To live For the gaze of men is exhausting and emptying. But to live for the gaze of God is liberating. Because he always sees you. 
and he always loves you as you are. You are his. If you're a Christian woman, you, you have been bought by his blood. You belong to him. You are valuable because Christ died for you. You don't need to prove anything to anyone with the way you dress. It's a dead-end street to seek the approval of others. Because Proverbs 27, verse 20, is a good, good warning. It says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. That's just the reality. And I think man here, not male, but mankind. Our eyes are never satisfied. We always want something new. We always want to see something better or new. So to dress for that is to say, I'm never going to be accepted. I'm never going to be loved. Because never satisfied are the eyes of man. You always need to pursue the latest fashion or the latest beauty style. And next year you're out of date. Right? But listen to this. The imperishable beauty. A beauty that never dies in the sight of God brings rest. Because he sees everything about you. He he knows your insecurities, your sin, your shame, your past, your future. And he says, I choose you. With all of that. He loves you in Christ, in his beloved. You are his beloved. Christ's burden is light. His yoke is easy. So ladies, there needs to be a shift in whom you want to please. That needs to shift, needs to happen. Please him. And this is the proper way. And what are good works? You might say, okay, then how does these good works look like? Look at a catalog in chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5, verse 9 to 10. Paul gives a short catalog of good works. What are women that are doing good works? Verse 9 to 10, um, chapter 5, verse 9 to 10. It says, let the widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been a wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. Okay, what are these good works? If she has brought up children has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Isn't that beautiful? What are the kind of good works God looks at that's beautiful? Raising children. Right? Hospitality. Serving the church. Washing the feet of the saints. Helping the poor, the sick, the vulnerable. Yesterday we had a, a porch for life about a, 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 like a conference about abortion and how we as a church can help with babies. Babies being discarded because they are unwanted. What an amazing opportunity for the women in our church to be rich in good works, to help, to serve, to give, to open their homes. Those are, that's beautiful when a woman does that. Now it's interesting, this list. How the world despises this in a woman. A woman who raises children? Are you, are you mad? You're wasting your life. Right? Hospitality. Serving the sick and the needy. Come on. You have so much, so much talents. Why don't you use that to make more money? By the way, nothing wrong with women making a lot of money. Okay? It's good. But just the, the, the attitude of the world is, if you do these things, that would be the waste of a life. No, this is a meaningful life. Raising children, helping the sick, hospitality, serving the church. 
There's just a deadness there, a meaninglessness. There's no life, there's no meaning, no bigger picture than you. It definitely leaves you empty after you get older. This is the irony of beauty, isn't it? There, I would say, this is an argument, and you're welcome to share with me what you think about this, but I think there's an inverse relationship between what your focus is and how beautiful you are. Women who've are focusing on the external appearance, become uglier the older they get. Why? Because they, they, tr they try to cling to their beauty as, as if that's the only thing they have. And you, we've all seen those, those ladies who have just too much makeup on. The, the face is baptized, right? And we just feel no skin was ever designed to endure that. But we look at that and we just feel, we almost feel shame, right? Because you can see a lady that's clinging and not... Wanting to let go. But on the other hand, a woman that focuses on her character, her good works, serving the church, serving the needy. She becomes more beautiful the older she gets. More beautiful. More attractive. Is this just something beautiful about the mind of, of a woman that's suffering, intense suffering... And says, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Something beautiful about that soul that never perishes, right? Scriptures agree, the scriptures agree. Proverbs 31, very famous verse, verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. On the flip side, a very funny verse, Proverbs 11 verse 22 says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a pig with a gold ring in its snout. But I, I, I want to bet that you would not say, what a beautiful ring. <laughs> right? When you see that, like Tommy Nelson would say, we would rather say, what a waste of a ring. That ring could have been used in better ways, right? Now it's on that pig. Similarly, when a woman is just beautiful, but she doesn't fear the Lord, she doesn't serve him, she doesn't serve the needy and the poor, we want to say, what a waste. What a waste of her beauty. The good gift that God has given her is wasted. But the good news for the women is the same good news for the men. Where we see true beauty is at the same place, at the cross, right? Jesus has come for the ugly, for us, the sinful, the rejected. And I want to read, we all know these verses, but listen to Isaiah 53 verse 2 again. It's just a beautiful verse. It says, he, Christ, grew up before him. So I think we did say there will be load shedding. Okay, but I I can still see myself. Okay, there's lights. All right. 
Okay, listen to Isaiah 53 verse 2. It says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You see, Jesus didn't just become sin for you. He became ugly for you. He was marred beyond human resemblance. And yet, where was Jesus the most beautiful for us? Is it not at the same place, at the cross? <laughs> and one day, when Jesus comes again, we have the promise that we will become like him in his glory. Jesus says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of his father. One day our lowly bodies will be transformed into the glory of his body. So beloved, men and women of the church, follow your savior in true strength, true beauty. Were we all not unattractive by sin? By our, were we all, are we all not weak because of our sin? We are weak. We are unattractive to God because of our sin. And yet Christ desired us, loved us, despite us. Not because of our strength, not because he saw how strong we are or how beautiful we are, but literally the contrary of that. And that shows his love for us. So don't we have a beautiful savior, a strong savior? And he loves you. And in his beauty, in his strength, our hearts are satisfied. We can be rest in his love for us. Stop seeking the approval of the world and what the world says a man should be and a, and a woman should be. And live for the gaze of one. So men, if you are angry, if you don't have your emotions under control, repent. Turn away from your anger, from your sin, and turn to Christ. Turn to the only one that can give you self-control. Ask him for a clean heart before him. Women, are you really beautiful in the true sense of it? For whose gaze are you living for? Repent of your sins. Repent of your vanity. Turn to Christ. Find true meaning, true beauty in following Christ and adorning yourself with good works. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. Lord Jesus, you said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, both as men and women, we need rest. We need you. We need to be satisfied with you. And you alone. Oh Lord, um, I know we as men and women are on various places in our lives and maybe we have different concerns, different questions, different weaknesses, different temptations. Oh Lord, I pray that you would restore us to you. Your grace doesn't abolish our nature, it restores our nature as men and women. And so Lord, please do your work in us. Thank you that you love us, that you are strong to save and that we can follow Christ, the strongest and the most beautiful of saviors, the only savior. Lord, we give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name.